Welcome to Country Christian. Good morning. On another beautiful sunny day. So, a uh, couple of weeks ago, us men were kind of going through Genesis. And uh, do you remember how Abraham was told to go into the land of Egypt? And uh, maybe we should have a little time of prayer before we start the message here. What do you think? Everybody's still kind of sitting down. So, Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for, um, for your word and for everybody that's going to come together and worship and praise your name. Heavenly Father, be with us. Help us to honor you and um, just encourage one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And I learned something new last couple weeks ago about Abraham in the land of Egypt. Most of us don't realize that when you go to a faraway country, you're at risk, especially if you have a really good-looking wife. And did I say that right? Abraham feared for his life because of his wife, Sarah. She was very uh, good-looking, as we say it. And I kind of thought, how many of us would uh, lie about our wife? I mean, most of us never marry our sister, right? And so Abraham and Sarah agreed that they would tell him that she's my sister and he's my brother. And... I didn't really understand why they would do that. Well, he's probably thinking, you know, I'm probably better dead. I'm probably better alive and not have my wife, Sarah, than I am dead and not have her. I mean, it, you understand what I'm kind of going at? God, God protected them in that, even though he wasn't completely truthful. And I guess that's kind of my, my mindset here. You know, Abraham, he told the truth but not entirely. He left out some more information, and God still pr pr protected him from that. But uh, When I was a teenager, my parents would ask me, hey, what time did you get home last night? I'd say, oh, plenty after 10. So plenty after 10, you know, it's like I was later than that, so I was kind of deceptive in that way. I wasn't being truthful. And so that's my, my probably my question to you is, we can be truthful, but if you leave out some detail, how truthful are we being? And I look at my own life, there's a lot of things that, yeah, I probably wasn't completely square with that. Nobody likes to be uh, lied to. We, nobody, none of us want to be, we all want to be uh, told the truth, and I, I do, but I looked up the word, the meaning of the word truth, and it's conformity to actual, to actuality, fidelity to an original or standard, reality or actuality. And we can relate to, uh, the kids can probably relate to like cheating on an exam, or uh, if, we're mis if we misrepresent the IRS, uh, if we, our tax returns, if we're not being truthful there, or, you know, not telling the whole story. We're being truthful. I mean, I was being truthful when I told them 
plenty after 10. That was totally truthful. But it was not truthful in a sense. I was being deceptful, deceitful. And um, for me, I think uh, it's the fear, um, fear of what it may cost me is why I'm not truthful. You know, if somebody asks ask me, if somebody asks you, hey, honey, how do I look? <laughs> gently speak, gently. We need to be truthful to others, but they get that right, honey? I need to have grace for others, and um, we, none of us like being lied to, so we need to have grace for others. In, um, in, 19, in January 1, 1963, Abraham Lincoln declared the Emancipation Proclamation, and it took two and a half years for some of the slaves in Texas to realize that they were free. No one told them. The truth was withheld from them. And today, uh, the mainstream media is saying some of these things are, are uh, conspiracies. Now we're finding out there's a lot of truth to those stories that were going out there. And I know there's stories that are not true. But, and today, the, our culture is probably nothing new, but good is evil, evil is good. There's just a lot of question as to what is truth. And even Pilate asked that, what is truth? So... I want to purpose to try to be truthful. How do I make a change? Ask God to help me speak truth into my family, my neighbor, and my friends. And do I measure according to God's standard? You know, we can measure ourselves with everybody around us, but that's not, that's not what God wants. God wants us to measure, has the measure stick according to his standards. And I realize I fall short of his standard frequently. And the simple question is, the simple answer is just confess it and ask God to forgive us. I need to be more concerned about what God thinks than what man thinks. And have courage to do the right thing. For me, I think it's more of a humiliation or humility or saying something in public and then uh, being ridiculed about it, you know, like a politician, they have to learn how to stand up. They have to know what they think and say it and, and not be afraid to what people are going to uh, say about them. And I'm not a politician, but it would, uh, I don't know, I'm challenged to say what I need to say and just go with it and just let no, and worry about what God thinks. So there you have it. Uh, so I wrote some things down uh, from the God's Word here as admonition or instruction. And if you can just kind of go with me here, it's about 10, 10 verses I picked out uh, from Proverbs to Ephesians. And I'll just kind of read down through them here. And if I read it too fast or something, holler, holler at me. Um, I'll try to go easy. So Proverbs 3.3, 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, Write them upon the table of thine heart. Let not mercy and truth forsake me. In Proverbs 25, 5, 
Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. In Psalms 105, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. In Psalm 119, 151, Thou art near, O Lord, and thy commandments are truth. In Proverbs 12, 17, He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. In Proverbs 12, 19, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 23, 23. By the truth, sell it not, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. By the truth. John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John 8, 32, and we shall know the truth, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, and we shall be free indeed. And John 4, 23, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. In Ephesians 4, 25, Wherefore, put away lying, speaking to every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And one more, Ephesians 4, 6, 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So let's be more concerned about what God thinks than what man thinks. Let's be truthful and where we go, what we do, and honor the Lord where we're at. So why don't we stand and we'll have a word of prayer and the worship team can come up and we'll uh, open our voices and praise to him. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you and praise you for this day, and uh, may we edify one another and honor you with our hearts. Lord, just thank you for um, each one that's come here, and I pray that you'll be in our midst, in Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. If you, um, if you want to go on the tuna boat, get in line behind me because I'm going to go fishing, tuna fishing, because I've been before and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it is a long time to be sick, though, if you get seasick. <laughs> and the boat's not going to turn around and bring you back if you get sick. So that'll be a lot of fun. Thank you, Zach, for, for looking into that and possibly putting that together. Uh, the other, Zach, I appreciate what you shared this morning because we all get to points in our lives where we feel a little flat. And we try to figure out what's going on and, and is it me or am I missing something or I don't know always what the answer is, but I know who has the answer. And we have been talking in Acts about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was last week. That's where the answer is. And sometimes I think we forget that. I forget that. <clears throat> this morning, though, we're going to move out of Acts for a little bit. Because I was looking back, and I, I don't know if any of you keep notes. Don, do you keep notes from when you spoke before? Yeah. I have notebooks of mine, and it's kind of fun sometimes to, to go through them, and I don't do it too often because I don't want to do the same thing over and over again, and sometimes maybe I do. But there is one thing that I like to do every year, and I've been looking to see what, when it was. I've been watching for this coming up, and it's been the first Sunday of May for the last two years. And uh, that is talking about the fundamental things that we believe. And the last two years, it was the first Sunday in May, and so I thought, well, this is the first Sunday in May, so let's do that again, because I think it's an annual thing that we need to hear, probably more than annually, but that's what I do up here. The five things, there's five fundamental things that we believe, and I, there, there are more things that we believe than just this, but I got to go to a pastor's meeting uh, earlier this week, and one thing that was shared was, <clears throat> I've said it before here, but remembering to major on the major things and not major on the minor things. Because if you read the scripture, and you read different verses, and then the Holy Spirit works through you and helps you to interpret different things, we might all interpret things a little bit differently. But there's these five things that we're going to talk about this morning, that if we believe these five things, then we will get along as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can work together. If we don't, then we have a problem. And I've done this before multiple times, but we're going to go through it again. And every year that I do this, I think, boy, look at what's going on in the world today. How good of a reminder is this for us to know what is it that we truly, honestly, when it boils down to what is it that we believe? Is it that we believe we come to church on Sunday? Well, that's just what we do. I don't care what day of the week you want to go to church. We don't, get, we don't want to get... Uh, um, divided on which day that should be. There's a lot of things in Scripture that, we, that could divide us and have divided us, and that is not my intention this morning. In fact, I want to steer away from those things that would tend to divide us, and I want to focus on the things that we should be solidly in agreement on. With the direction that our world appears to be going, I feel like it's an imperative that we stand firm on these particular issues. Again, there might be a couple, three more that we, we would agree on that we need to stand firm, but these are five truths that we hold here. Different things in Scripture over the years, and even not over the so distant years, have caused controversy. We talked about the Holy Spirit. That has been one of them. Uh, it's caused churches to split. It's caused people to completely leave church 
for a time. It's caused division. It's caused division in churches, in families, in brothers. And, and the enemy has a heyday with that. And he wants us to focus on those things. This is not what we're focusing on again this morning. The question that I'll keep coming back to is what is most important? And the second question is how, not how, but does it affect my salvation? Does it affect my relationship with Christ? And I'm not talking about ours so much. I'm talking about mine and your relationship with him. Nothing to do with me. Because I think this is really important. You can come here and we can be a part of this church body and that's great. But that is not what makes you a believer. The thing that makes you a believer is that you have a relationship with Jesus yourself. Personally. You and him. It's between you and him. It's between me and him. And then we come together collectively to worship. I want to start off by reading... I've got a lot of different verses that we're going to go through this morning. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now we can look at this and we say, come, let us reason together. Why do we get together here on Sunday morning? Part of it is to be encouraged. Part of, us, part, part of it is for us to reason together. Let's talk about these things. Let's hear about these things. I stand up here and talk, but all of you guys got things going through your mind. And every time I say something or I read a verse, your mind is going. I know it's going because mine does the same thing when I'm sitting out there. And so I know yours is. But I get to stand up here today. But I want to, I still, I want to hear what you think. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear where you are. My job, and I really feel like my responsibility, is to bring you encouragement, to bring you uh, um, conviction. What is it that you really, truly believe? Come, let us reason together. What are your convictions and what are your opinions? Sometimes they're the same thing and sometimes they're not the same thing. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I like to stand up here and share of my conviction, not necessarily my opinion. Because everybody's got an opinion, but that's not what we're interested in this morning. You're okay, you're... It's okay for you to have your opinion. It's okay for me to have my opinion. But we want to focus on the things that we truly believe in, that we will stand up for and that we would be willing to die for. Because I'm not going to die over the fact whether you go to church on Sunday or Saturday or Monday or Tuesday. I'm not willing to do that. But there are things that I am willing to stand up for that are more important than that. We've been... Last week we talked about coming of the Holy Spirit... He's the one that guides us. He's the one that gives us the, the uh, nudging, the conviction, whatever you want to call it. That's who we're going to rely on to know what these things are, to know what things are big things and what things are not big things. 
So having said all of that, we're going to jump in. This is the question. Keep this in mind as we talk about these five different areas. Is my salvation based on this? That's the question that I usually come back to. Is my salvation based on it? The first one that I have is the condition of man. The condition of man. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The condition of man. We were all born in the same condition. Sin is what has separated us from God. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, everything was perfect. Everything was perfect. We were, but because of what happened in the garden, everything is not perfect anymore. Uh, some verses that I'd like to read. Galatians chapter 3. Verses 19 through 25. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for, the, for one only, but God is one. If, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture was confined all under sin, that the promise of, by Faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. What was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to point us to Christ. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly, righteousness would have been by the law. But there was not a law given that could bring life. The only thing that could bring life was Christ. The only thing that could bring life was Jesus in his, him coming down here and doing what he did. The condition of man. All of us were born in the same condition. Psalm uh, 14 Verses 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Now, I don't know if you've heard people say before that... Uh, basically, everybody's good inside, right? That is the biggest lie that there ever has been. Because everybody is not basically good inside. Everybody, in fact, is basically evil inside when they're born. Because we're all born in the same condition. The condition of man is the sin nature that we're born with. And we're all born with it. Every one of us. The children of Israel, if you look at how they operated, that should prove that anyone left to their own desires will not lead to God. It just didn't, and they did it over and over and over again. It did not lead to God. Left to their own desires, left without somebody leading them or somebody guiding them, 
that did not lead them to God. And if we are left and we follow what we want to do, what our human desire is to do, it will never lead us to God. Because God gave us a choice. And that's why we're in the condition that we're in. But the good news is he gave us a choice clear back in the garden that Adam and Eve chose wrong and disobeyed. They chose to disobey, but he still gave us a choice today that we can choose today to obey. The condition of man is something that we stand on. We're not all basically good. We're not born good. I've said it a lot of times. You put little kids in the same room and they will not always get along. They aren't born with just the desire to share all their toys with everybody else. I don't know about yours, but mine aren't or weren't. And sometimes I'm still not that way. The second one is the inerrancy of the word. You see, we like to take parts of the Bible and we like to take different verses of the Bible and we like to use it for our benefit. The entire Bible is the inspired word of God. The entire Bible is true and we believe everything that's in there. There are things that we don't understand and I believe this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and helps us to guide us to understand. I think there's things in Scripture that we're not going to understand here on this earth because I don't know if we're capable of it. In Genesis 3, when the serpent came to Eve and he asked, did God really say not to eat the fruit? And how does Eve respond to that? She says, he said not to eat it. In fact, he said not even to touch it. That's not what he said. She's adding to the scripture. And we'd be very careful that we don't add. Sometimes, you know, uh, if you ever used your own name for a book, well, maybe some of you have a name that is a book of the Bible. But if you use your own name for a book of the Bible, because that's something that you think should be. Rich, chapter 3. No, we don't do that. But the enemy in Genesis simply caused her to question the scripture. And today, that happens. That still happens today. We read things and we question, God, what do you, what is, how is this supposed to work? You have promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. Well, for some reason during this, whatever it is that you're going through, it doesn't really feel like you're still here. Are we questioning what Scripture says? Do we still believe that Scripture is the inspired Word of God in its entirety? In Deuteronomy, it talks about not adding to or taking away from what Scripture says. And then, if you go clear back to the last chapter of Revelation, it'll say again the same thing. Don't add to it, don't take away from it. It's there for a reason. It's all there for our benefit. Second Timothy. Chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17 says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The inerrancy of the word. 
Scripture is for our benefit. It's for my benefit. It's for your benefit. We don't get to pick and choose which one we believe because if we chicken, if that didn't come out right, if we pick and choose <laughs> which ones we believe, I think we're going to be clear back again where the children of Israel were when it said everybody did what was right in his own eyes. You cannot pick and choose what you want to believe. Do we believe that the Bible in its entirety is true? Another thing that I'm willing to stand on, the inerrancy of the word. The third one is the deity of Christ. Jesus is God. There's a lot of people that think he was maybe just a good prophet, a good man that lived. He was, he was but he was also more than that. John chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, it says, "If this is uh, Jesus talking to some of the disciples. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? For he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. The deity of Christ. Have you been with me so long and you don't, and yet you have not known me? Have we spent our entire life serving Jesus and not recognizing who he truly is. I heard a, a phrase earlier this week that, at this pastor's thing I went to that said it's easier to fall in love with the words than it is to fall in love with the word, which is Christ. Because we can know all of these things, we can read all of these things, we can study all of these things and be very knowledgeable, but if we don't apply that personal relationship to our lives, it means Nothing. All the knowledge in the world without the personal relationship is not worth anything. The deity of Christ. John 10.30 says, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was more. Jesus was more than a good man. He was more than a prophet. He was, and he still is, God. When he lived here, he proved to be fully God and fully man. He lived, he came, and he lived a sinless life. The only person ever to do that was Jesus. Because when it came time to offer that final sacrifice that was needed to cover our sins, it had to be a perfect, spotless, sinless lamb which followed right along with what happened in the Old Testament. Because when they sacrificed lambs, they had to be perfect without blemish. So the only way that we get to where we are today is by Jesus coming here, being fully human and being fully God, living a perfect life to become that perfect, spotless, sinless lamb that was sacrificed for you and I 
Incredible what was accomplished because Jesus is God. The deity of Christ. Number four is the virgin birth. Adam was created in the beginning without sin. God created them, Adam and Eve, without sin, which didn't last that long. I don't know how long it was, but it didn't last very long. But Adam and Eve proceeded to disobey. They chose to disobey, which creates or created the sin nature that we are born with today, going back to the first one, the condition of man. Jesus' father was God, and Jesus' mother was Mary. His father was God, making him fully divine, and his mother was Mary, making him fully human. How does that work? Don't understand how it all works. I'm just very thankful it does, because he was fully divine, and he was fully human. He lived here. He walked through things. He experienced the same things that we experience today, yet in doing so, he was still fully God. Again, I don't understand how that works, but it does. Again, this is God we're talking about, right? This is God that can do anything. This is God that there's nothing that's too hard for him to do. There's nothing that's impossible for him to do. This is the same God that we're talking about. Fully divine and fully human. Jesus was born without sin. Adam was created without sin, but chose to disobey. Jesus was born without sin. He was not born with the sin nature that we have because he was born of God, not of a man. He didn't have the sin nature in him. Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 14 says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I can imagine when this was written, they were having a really hard time understanding what was being said right here. But now we can look back at it and we can read it and say, oh, okay, now it makes sense. But I'm sure it didn't make much sense then. But this is predicting what is going to happen. I want to read uh, out of Romans chapter 5. Verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. By one man's disobedience, we're all paying the price for that. By being born in the condition that we're born. But by another man's obedience... We can all have righteousness. We can all be considered righteous. We can all have an, the opportunity to accept the free gift of salvation that Christ offers. Incredible that it started with Adam. And Jesus was, in a sense, a copy of what was happening there, except for he never sinned. The virgin birth. Fully divine. Fully human. The fifth one is the bodily resurrection. And what gets difficult on some of these things is when we start arguing, if you want to call it arguing, discussing, and, and having as big of a discussion over something like this, the bodily resurrection, as we do about what? Some other petty thing that does not affect my salvation. Because there's a lot of things that don't affect my salvation. But yet we tend to argue, okay, how, if you want to use this as an example, how old the earth is. There's all kinds of ideas on that. I have my opinion, you have your opinion, you have your thoughts. And, but you know what? Does it affect my salvation? Not a bit. Not at all. And so if we're going to stand on something and we're going to be stubborn, if you want to call it stubborn on issues, let's make sure they're the right issues. The bodily resurrection is the fifth one. The bodily resurrection, Jesus came here and lived fully man while being fully God. And because he was living here fully man, he died. He, di he was dead. Physically, he was dead. When they hung him on that cross, he died. But he didn't stay that way. And when, on the third day, when that tomb was empty... I think, I believe, I don't think that I believe. I believe that it was that body that got up and walked out of that tomb. It wasn't his spirit. It wasn't somebody else or something else. It was him physically that got up out of that tomb and walked. The bodily resurrection. See, it's important this is huge. We just celebrated Easter, and everything that we believe is based on the fact that Christ rose from the dead, physically rose from the dead. And then he proceeded to appear to several different people to prove that he rose from the dead. Because he could have also risen and not gone and seen anybody and went straight back to heaven, and then it would have been harder, maybe. Of course, we didn't get to see him rise from the dead, we're taking this, which is one of our other points, that everything in the Bible is true, and we're believing that he physically, literally rose from the dead. First Corinthians chapter 15. Twelve through twenty-three. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable." But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. I'm going to stop right there. This is what we believe, what we believe is based on this right here. I mean, all five of these are important. This one, though, is big. Because if he didn't rise, then our preaching is in vain. What we believe means nothing. The bodily resurrection. What was the first one? condition of man. We were all born sinners. What's the second one? The inerrancy of the word. All of scripture is true. Number three, the deity of Christ. Jesus is God. Number four, the virgin birth. He was fully divine and he was fully human. And the last one, the bodily resurrection. These are things that as our world feels like it can be falling apart, it's exciting in a way, it can be scary in a way, but I choose to live in the excitement because I know that everything that happens means we're one day closer to our Savior returning to take us home. That part is exciting. It can be frightening as well, watching things that are happening. But if we're, let, let's make this a point to know that we know that these are the things that we are willing to stand up for. Some of the other things, let's not get hung up on them. We can, we can talk about them. We can discuss them. We can have a, 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 an argument about them, whatever you want to do. But these, these are not up for argument. These are not up for a, a compromise. This is what we believe. And I think today, more so every year, like I said, goes by. Today, even more so important that we know what it is that we believe. One more verse, and then Tony's going to come sing a song for us. 1 Peter chapter 5. I like this verse, and I end with it often. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever. 
and ever. Amen. And I want to end with this. These things that we believe are detrimental to how we live. It is important how we live. These things are what we can base our life on. But I also say be sober. Be vigilant. Because the enemy is walking around, making a lot of noise, making things look like we should be ashamed of what we believe. And that is a lie. And let's be sure that we're standing on what is right not just on what our opinion is. Let's make sure we're standing on what is truth. Tony, you want to come? Father, thank you so much for your love this morning. I pray that you would help us to stand up. Stand up for what we believe. Stand up for what is right. Not be afraid or ashamed or scared or living in fear of what might happen because of that. But Lord, I just pray that you would help us to keep our eyes and our focus and our attention on you. Knowing that it's only because of you that we do what we do. And Lord, we look forward with anticipation to the day that you come again. But help us to be sober, to be vigilant, to be aware until that day comes. We love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. Pray that you would help us to pass that on as you have given it to us. In your name we pray. Amen.
lift our voices up and sing you're the sweetest sweetest name of all Jesus you're the sweetest name of all Jesus you always hear me when I call oh Jesus you pick me up each time I fall you're the sweetest sweetest name of all 